It's always good to be with you at Tapestry, and uh, I always, and trust me, I mean this very sincerely, it is always uh, something I enjoy working with Brad and Danielle. They are just phenomenal. I, those of you who attend here all the time, I don't, I don't know if you realize uh, what a blessing and treasure they are, but they're good. And, and of course, uh, Andy and Kate are good friends, and I always appreciate Andy and uh, trusting me enough uh, to invite me to speak to you. Uh, although, if you think about it, Andy always seems to make sure that he's not here. So he doesn't have to listen to what he's inflicting upon you. Andy, if uh, you're listening to this, uh, just kidding. <clears throat> Yikes. I want to start with a question. So I will. I wasn't asking permission. I'm going to start with a question, whether you like it or not. I thought that might be funnier than that. <laughs> I have those thoughts occasionally. Dee says I'm not right in the head, but what does she know? Here's the question. Have you ever opened a letter or an email or a text message or answered the phone, perhaps, and it kind of changed your life? You, you thought you were just opening a letter or, or an email or, oh, somebody texted me. I'll see what that is. Or, well, just, I'm, I'm just answering the phone. And you don't see it coming because we don't see into the future. And it kind of changed your life. And because it did, something that you thought was just very routine, mundane, ordinary, it was unforgettable. Uh, hello, this is the Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes Awards Division, and you're a winner. Anybody had that experience? Well, see, if it happens, you know, then you'll be surprised and it'll be unforgettable. Uh, oh, this is the IRS Collections Division, and you're being audited. This is the doctor's office. We got your test results back. Would you like to go out Friday night? Will you marry me? Okay, that one was probably in person. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, if, let me just say, if you were proposed to by any other method other than in person, I'm sorry. I guess. Okay, how about this one? Honey, I took one of those pregnancy tests. Now we're talking about life-changing, unforgettable moments. In the words of the great theologian, St. Forrest Gump, <laughs> life is like a box of chocolates. You just never know what you're going to get. I'm going to tell you an unforgettable story. But first, I want to set the stage by telling you how that story is even possible. To do that, we have to go back in time. 
twice. First, about 243 years ago, and then all the way back to the first century. Okay? You ready? Where have you heard these words? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Anybody? Declaration of Independence. The beginning of the Declaration of Independence. July 1776. What a great concept. All men are created equal. We built our nation on that. And we haven't always gotten it right. We haven't always lived up to it. More than a few times, we as a nation have had to apologize and change some laws. We even fought a civil war to try to make things right. But still, throughout our nation's history, we have been tethered to that statement. All men are created equal. It has helped to define us as a nation. But it's important for us to understand that it hasn't always been that way. It wasn't that way in the first century. Everyone was most definitely not created equal in the Roman Empire, which included Jerusalem, all of Israel, Galilee, Samaria, all around the Mediterranean basin. Women were not created equal. Slaves were not created equal. The poor, people from countries that the Romans had conquered were not created equal. Even children. They all had little, if any, rights. They were really more like property and less like free human beings. The Romans looked down on the Jews. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans. The rich looked down on the poor. Everyone looked down on the sick and the disabled. It was a very harsh dog-eat-dog culture. Today, psychologists and sociologists would tell us that's not a very healthy environment. I'm better than you. You don't belong. You're not good enough. You're an outsider. You've done bad things. You're the wrong color. You go to the wrong church. You voted for him. You voted for her. You don't follow the right rules. You're a sinner. I'm right and you're wrong. Listen. When someone thinks that they have or deserve more rights than someone else, bad things are just around the corner. They think they're entitled to take what belongs to someone else. And one thing leads to another, and before you know it, everyone is headed down a very dark road. Have any of you ever seen the movie Road to Perdition? Great movie, in my opinion. Uh, there's a scene in that movie where two characters played by Paul Newman and Tom Hanks. 
figure if you're not that good of a preacher, you know, bring Paul Newman and Tom Hanks in. I mean, anyway. Uh, but Paul Newman and Tom Hanks are they're they're gangsters basically, and uh, they have been very close. In fact, almost like father and son. Very close, but due to some selfishness and someone thinking they had more rights, and one thing leads to another, and there's been violence and bloodshed and. Now, these two who have been so close find themselves on opposite ends. And there's a lot at stake. Whenever someone thinks they have more rights than someone else, it leads down a road to perdition. Take a look at this. There are only murderers in this room. Michael, open your eyes. This is the life we chose, the life we lead. And there is only one guarantee. None of us will see heaven. Friends, we need to realize that there are only sinners in this room. Some of us may have asked for and received forgiveness, and maybe some haven't. But we are all sinners. We are all flawed, broken creatures in need of a Savior. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Sin is part of the human condition. Whether you're a Christian or not, or a religious person or not, every sociologist, every person who studies human behavior understands that there are no perfect people. We all have flaws. When we refuse to admit to ourselves that we have a sin problem, it just grows. It multiplies. We sin in order to hide the fact that we are sinners. And then we sin in order to cover up the cover-up. We become more and more self-righteous and things just keep getting worse and worse. And that's where things were when Jesus arrived on the scene. It was a really toxic, brutal, unloving environment. And I think it's safe to say, Jesus was not okay with it. When Jesus showed up, he began to turn this whole system on its head with statements like, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus reset the boundaries. This was not okay with people who kind of liked the status quo the way it was. But Jesus was beginning to change things, restoring dignity and value to those on the margins, those who were left out. He said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What kind of people 
does Jesus seem to specifically reach out to here? The poor. Those who are in mourning. The quiet ones. The hungry. The thirsty. And Jesus didn't just talk about it. He lived it out. He went out of his way. He talked to them. Talking about the people who were excluded from polite society. The ones who weren't supposed to be good enough. The ones who were, who were left out. Jesus talked to them. He looked them in the eye when he talked to them. He touched them. He accepted them. He invited them in. He embraced them. He healed them. He loved them. Who did he do this for? Who did he reach out to? Women. The poor. The unclean. The sick. The disabled. Samaritans. People who were different racially, economically, politically, religiously. And yes, even the Romans. The enemy. The hated oppressors. The soldiers. The corrupt politicians. In fact, Jesus made no exceptions. Everyone is equal. Everyone has rights. Everyone is treated with dignity and respect. Friends, the scandal of the kingdom, the scandal of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus has opened the door to riffraff and sinners. He has flung the door wide open to anyone and everyone, to you and me. And to those who, for whatever reason, <laughs> we may be tempted to think that we're better than. In John 3.16, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Go ahead, try to exclude someone in your mind. Think of someone that you think falls outside the reach of God's love and God's grace. Jesus would say, wait a minute, I died for that person. I died for those people. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus laid down his life. He died for all people, for all kinds of people. We all need him. We all are in need of a savior because we are all sinners. And Jesus is a friend of sinners. He was then, and thankfully, he still is today. Now, here's the story that I said I would tell you about that I will never forget. In 2004, Dee and I moved to Savannah to start a new church. Some of you were there. Good to see you, Karen. 
a new church, a different kind of church, a church for people who don't like church is part of how we identified ourselves. We wanted to reach unchurched people and people who for whatever their reasons weren't interested in a normal church. People who felt they had been left out. In September of 2004, we were less than a week away from launching our new church. When I answered the phone, and heard these words from a young lady. Hello, I got your flyer in the mail, and I just wanted to ask you if it was okay for me and my two young boys to come to your church. Wait, what? Doesn't that seem like an odd question? Especially when we've been spending thousands of dollars inviting, no, begging people <laughs> to come to our new church. Her name was Andrea Hughes. And she was a 20-something-year-old mom with two little boys. But there was a whole lot more to her story. You see, when Andrea was 11, 12 years old, she attended a hellfire and brimstone-style church. Can I get a witness from somebody who grew up in a hellfire and brimstone? <laughs> she attended a church like that with one of her, or with some of her cousins. They, they kind of invited her to go along with, with them until one Sunday morning, she literally had the hell scared out of her. And so she walked to the front of the church. She said what they told her she needed to say. And they gave her a little booklet to keep her out of hell. And that was pretty much the end of it. By the time she was in high school, Andrea wasn't going to church at all. During her high school years, instead of going to church, she began to do her own personal study of religion and spirituality. She did a lot of reading. This led her over time to the study of, in this order, the history of the Catholic Church, and then pagan rituals, and then New Age, then earth worship, and finally, witchcraft. That was her path. It's not everyone's path, but that was her path. That, that's how her journey went, and that's where she had settled. When Andrea called me that week in September 2004, she was very subdued, polite, transparent. She told me that she wasn't a Christian. But Ben, her husband, who was deployed in the Middle East, was. And they had two little boys, and they had agreed that they wanted their boys to have the opportunity of going to church so that they could learn about Christianity. And I think the idea was... They'd give them as much information as they could, and then when the boys were, you know, grown, they could decide for themselves. <clears throat> and so she had visited several churches and liked some of them enough to go back. 
But as soon as the church leadership found out that she was into Wicca and witchcraft, they made it clear that she wasn't welcome. Hmm. Well, you know, that was painful and embarrassing. And she really didn't want to go through that again. So when Andrea received our colorful invitation in the mail about a different kind of church, she decided to call and put her cards on the table up front and tell me that she was a witch. And then she asked me if it was okay for someone like her, a witch, to come to our church. Can I just tell you that I don't remember if we covered that scenario in my ministerial studies I wasn't prepared for that question. I hadn't thought about it. Is it okay for witches to come to our church? I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what the correct answer was. I mean, obviously, there were some pastors and some churches that said, no, it's not okay. However, we had spent a sizable chunk of our pre-launch budget marketing ourselves on rock stations and through direct mail as a church for people who don't like church. A different kind of church, we said. And so... With fear and trembling, (laughs) spur of the moment, I promised her that it was precisely for people like her that we had decided to start this church. To be honest, sorry, it's kind of a phase I'm going through in life. Uh, To be honest, I don't think I had a clue what I was doing. I I mean, you talk about flying by the seat of your pants. And I still haven't told you the unforgettable part. Andrea said, okay, we'll be there this Sunday. And actually, I don't even remember if it was the first Sunday or the second Sunday that they showed up. But she said, we'll be there. And I hung up the phone thinking, well, you know, I hope that doesn't blow up in my face. I made sure I told our group of volunteers that we might have a special guest. And I wanted to make sure that she felt welcome and was left alone. No pressure, no embarrassing, pushy questions, no condemnation. Everyone agreed. We were all on board. And if you know anything about churches, that in itself is pretty amazing. (laughs) And so Andrea Hughes, Wiccan, started attending our new little church. 
and we slowly started to get to know her. She volunteered to help watch the babies in the nursery. Then she joined a small group. Months went by. Andrea was not a Christ follower. She was not a Christian. She was not a Christ believer. But she became part of our community, our family. It's something we like to say, you can belong before you believe. Or you can belong even if you don't believe. Andrea belonged, even though she didn't believe. We just tried to love her. Do you know what happens when you really try to love someone? Well, you end up loving them. This really actually never thought of it until just as this might be great, you know, for some marriages in the room. <laughs> if you really try to love someone, you will end up loving them. Love doesn't quit. Well, you know what? Andrea loved us right back. She was part of our family. This went on for month after month. Easter Sunday arrived, 2005. Our first Easter as a new church, about seven months after Andrea started coming. It was a big day, of course. We had a couple of hundred people, which was about twice our normal size, you know, Lots of excitement. We had an Easter egg hunt for the kids. After the service, I was talking to someone in, in the auditorium of the theater where we had our church services when Andrea came up behind me. And she was crying. But I didn't know she was there, so I just kept talking. It's kind of my MO. Uh, Andrea finally got tired of waiting for me to stop talking. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and so she walked across the auditorium to tell someone else, turned out to be my wife, that she had crossed the line of faith and was now a Christ follower. Just like that. No dramatics, no pressure, no emotional appeal. She told me it wasn't anything about the Easter story or the sermon. There was one verse in the Bible, Romans chapter 1, verse 25, that got her attention and changed her life. Do you know what Romans 1.25 says? You probably don't. Romans 1.25 says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. I told you she'd done a lot of study. She had been involved in earth worship and she read that verse. And of course, this was after months and months of being part of our community and part of our family and hearing sermons and going to our parties and small groups and be just being part of our life. 
And that verse nailed her. It just opened her eyes. She told me that was it. She said that verse is how God gave her the gift of faith to worship the creator and not the creation. Wow. And Andrea's life really was changed. She never looked back. Not through moving across country and then back again to Savannah when her husband's time in the military was done. Not through financial struggles and some social and physical challenges that she had to face. Not through being diagnosed with stage four cervical cancer. spread throughout her body and going into hospice care. When some friends joined me last summer at Andrea's mom's home where they had moved, a group of us went to help with some badly needed repairs there. That day, I, I spent some time talking with Andrea. We both knew that the clock was ticking, but then... The clock is ticking for all of us, isn't it? She was in her late 30s now. Her little boys are now teenagers. She was confined to bed in her mother's home while she battled her cancer and waited with a smile, with faith, <laughs> with a pretty sharp sense of humor with incredible, unbelievable joy and peace. She didn't complain. I mean, she didn't complain about anything. She was waiting for heaven. After talking with her, I, I, I drove home that afternoon. I got home, I told Dee, I was exhausted. Not, not from the physical labor, but just emotionally wrung out from being in her presence and just being overwhelmed. Her faith was so simple. Can I tell you, my faith can be complicated sometimes. But I know one thing. When I looked in Andrea's eyes, I didn't see fear. I didn't see regret. She wasn't worried about death or hell. She had faith in the creator. <clears throat> and on October, th October 13th, 2018, Andrea Hughes met the creator. Her creator, face to face, And yeah, I cried. But you know what? I also celebrated. I celebrated about the unforgettable day that Andrea Hughes called to ask if it was okay for a witch to come to our church. And I celebrated because I know for at least one time, I know that we got it right. 
and we didn't get in the way. And God did something unforgettable. And it was God that did it. Not me, not us. Only God has the power to transform a human life. We just didn't get in the way. We just tried to love her and be her friend and be available. And I think, I hope I learned a lesson. If God ever sends somebody else into my life, someone that I don't understand, someone that's different in some way, someone who votes different or thinks differently, or they don't like the Eagles in classic rock, (laughs) I hope I can remember to see it not as a problem, but as an opportunity. And I hope you will too. Because the same God created all of us. What is the name of this church? Tapestry. God created a tapestry of creation, a tapestry of people. We are all alike in so many ways, but we're different in so many ways but we're all made by the same maker, the same creator. What about you? Who do you know that maybe, even if they're not exactly like you, maybe you could just try to love them? You can't save them. You can't change them. Dee's been trying to change me for 40 years. And you know what? It's easier to love someone than it is to change them. We get that completely backward. We spend so much energy trying to change. It's like beating your head against the wall. Friends, it's a lot easier to just love them. Who do you know that maybe you could just try to love and not get in the way? while God works in their life. And maybe, just maybe, they will come to know Jesus and believe. And if you're not a Christ follower yet, I hope you will hang around. I hope you know that it's okay for you to hang around. Even if you don't believe, you can still be part of our community here We will still love you regardless. We want to be your friend even if you don't believe like we do. You can belong. You do belong. And when the time comes, when you're ready or whenever you have questions, we'll still be here waiting as a friend. couldn't believe it when I heard the announcement that you're starting a small group based on a book by Rachel Held Evans because I'm closing with this. Rachel Held Evans said it like this. This is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs 
gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry, because they said yes. And there's always room for more. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Lord, for loving and creating all of us and loving all of us, loving us so much that you thought we were worth dying for. I don't understand that. I, I, I just don't, but I'm thankful for it just the same. Lord, thank you for Andrea. Thank you for doing something unforgettable, unbelievable, something that none of us could do, that no human person can do, but something that you specialize in for loving and changing human lives. Thank you for the gift of faith. And I pray, Lord, that you will impart that gift to all of us here today in a new way, in a, in a way greater than we've experienced it before. Lord, flip that switch for us like you did for Andrea. When you opened her eyes, just out of nowhere, with something unexpected, Lord, open our eyes with a new kind of faith and help us to experience the unforgettable, wonderful things that you can do in our lives and in the lives of people around us. We ask these things in your name, Lord. Amen.